Hello, and welcome to Social Design Insights, the weekly podcast that brings you the leading voices of the social design movement from the fields of architecture, engineering, planning, art, and in this case, other. I'm your co-host, Eric Kessel, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Emiliano Gandolfi. Hello to everybody. Uh, We're having another interview today on how do we democratize design. And for this occasion, we're interviewing a mayor, a mayor from a town uh, called Braddock in Pennsylvania that is called Mayor John Fetterman. And you might be asking, why are we interviewing a mayor on a design show? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. But I think that, you know, the Curry Stone Foundation has always maintained a, a commitment towards a very expansive idea of design. And, you know, we've had plenty of people on this show. Some of our, our great interviews, people who would never declare themselves to be a designer, but are nonetheless out there in the world designing a new future. The mayor of Braddock is really facing a, a huge depopulation of his town, is facing a high rate of violence as a consequence of a, a post-industrial town that is just progressively decaying. So it's not only about Braddock that we're going to be speaking today, but it's about all those towns that were left behind, uh, you know, industrial evolution and uh, left in behind investment. And basically, what do you do with all these, uh, you know, smaller towns, but they're spread all over the world that are just not invested anymore? Mayor John Fetterman is known as, uh, uh, at some point, earned the moniker of America's coolest mayor. And in this interview, it really comes across why, you know, his sincerity and his commitment to his people and to confronting the problem you just mentioned, Emiliano, really comes across. And he's out there every day practicing a, a form of urban renewal, a form of urban development um, that is uh, progressive, um, it's dynamic, and it's successful. And I really think this is a great lesson, uh, especially for in young designers that want to be socially engaged, because it really shows how you know uh, some of the major problems that society is facing today can be addressed, and you know how to you know raise up your sleeves and start working hard on creating a change. Yeah, and hopefully uh, some of our listeners will run for mayor. Wouldn't that be awesome? And hopefully some will also move to Braddock and help our <laughs> Mayor Fetterman uh, to get things solved. Well, let's exactly. listen to the interview. Let's do it. Mayor John, thank you very much for being the show. We are really intrigued by all the buzz that came about from you know what's happening in Braddock. Braddock for us represents you know a double interest. We're interested because you're there, but also because it represents somehow uh, you know the crisis of a certain kind of uh, small size towns that were mostly connected with one business that is fading away. So could you maybe tell us you know what was your first inspiration before even becoming a mayor on how to somehow how, you know, make Braddock a better place? Sure. Well, it, it really all came from my desire to devote my professional career to inequality, for lack of a better phrase. I uh, grew up in a, a, you know, comfortable household and, and uh, never had to worry about things like education and enough food on the table and coming home from school and having my lights turned off. So I, I don't know how you'd want to categorize that background, but again, long story short, uh, you know, I, I had some life experiences where I realized that I just wanted to spend my professional career working, if I could be a value or service, correct this a monstrous level of inequality that exists in our country. And, um, you know, I went to the, the Kennedy School at Harvard to study public policy and economics. And I ended up here in Braddock teaching GED classes 
and helping with young people. So that's how I got my start in this, seeing just how severe the the dislocation, how severe the abandonment was, and how far the gulf was between you know a community like Braddock and and a, a prosperous, thriving city or community. So where do you start? I mean, when you uh, first got to Braddock and you you encountered, as you said, a monstrous level of inequality and this this kind of panoply of, of problems, how did you how did you break it down? Like, what were the first issues that you really started looking at? Well, the the, the first issues were were those of public safety. Uh, after I became mayor, no matter you know how committed you are, no matter how much you want to you know bring businesses and and have people uh, you know become more confident in, in investing in your community, you have to make it safe. And, and Braddock had violence issues, gun issues, things like that were are kind of uh, associated with uh, low-income kind of communities that are suffering from a lot of deprivation. So we uh, reimagined and redesigned you know, how our policing worked, and we began a long campaign to just start to work with what we had. And in terms of what do we tackle next, you know, we didn't have any functioning playgrounds in our community. We didn't have things that you would take for granted, like ATMs or a functioning restaurant or, I mean, so many different things that coming from, say, going to school in Cambridge, Massachusetts to coming to a place like Braddock. I mean, you, you could scarcely find a wider divide between, you know, these kind of places. So we never had the luxury of really taking anything for granted in terms of rebuilding the, the urban landscape. And, you know, today's polarized political climate in this country you have you, you know people can't agree on anything but you know 90 percent of our population at one point agreed that their lives and their chances would be better if they moved and left so i mean that that's a remarkable statement that those folks made and that left a great deal of trauma and abandonment behind so we really couldn't take anything for granted when we started as a mayor, you also came with a vision, and I think that we're also very interested in that vision because you really addressed some of the uh, strategies that as you know, architects and designer, we think could be effective, even if, of course, in Braddock, the, the cases are uh, very slim of having a strong effect if there's not a, a main economy coming in. So could you maybe tell us some of the things that you really introduced in terms of strategies so that we can understand better you know, how you are addressing these problems? Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of strategies, it's like we created a police force that the community trusted and a police force that was effective. We began to uh, conduct a lot of youth outreach and we created the largest summer employment program uh, for our young people. We opened up playgrounds, installed basketball courts. Uh, we uh, began to uh, create partnerships with outside philanthropic institutes. We at Pittsburgh has a great philanthropic community. Businesses, uh, we uh, went from having not a single place to eat to now we have three new restaurants and a fourth one on the way, a new coffee shop slated to open, including a brewery which was just named by Yelp as the, the best brewery in Pennsylvania. So it, it, it was really about starting from scratch and, and doing it from a way of, we're not doing this to gentrify our community, we're not doing this to get the wrong people out, quote unquote, or, and bring the quote right people in. We were about bringing as, as much uh, new energy investment and ideas back into the community and doing it a way that is focused on social justice, focused on in enhancing equality and doing it from a way that I think is grounded in those principles. And, you know, coming at it from more of an antithetical approach to 
you know, when I was finishing graduate school, you know, Richard Florida and the creative class was kind of the, it just come onto the scene. And I always felt that, uh, you know, my beliefs and approach was very antithetical to, to that. And it's like, Portland, Oregon is going to be great. You know, Boston, Massachusetts is going to be great. What about all of these enormous number of cities across our country where you're not going to attract, you know, talented young people with master's degrees or, you know, the next hot industry? And, and we really have our work cut out for us. And that's what drove our help, you know, plans to re, uh, redevelop our community. But it also drove, you know, running for the United States Senate like I did in 2016 and, and trying to get out this message. You know, Braddock isn't the important thing. It's what's happened to places like Braddock nationally and, and taking that to a bigger platform. How would you say the lessons of Braddock translate outward? Before the show, Emiliano and I were talking about, you know, this is a phenomenon that we we see all over the United States. We see it in Europe. I've seen it in, in northern Japan, these, these kind of post-industrial places that are just, they're forgotten and they're, and they're sort of left behind. Are there lessons from Braddock that, that you would call universal that we could start exporting to some of these other places? I think that the one universal message is that these places deserve to be invested in. Now, I'm not suggesting that you could, you know, create perfect parity between a place like Braddock and a place like, you know, downtown Portland, Oregon, or if that would even be desirable. But uh, what I'm suggesting, though, is, is that we in this country never took the time to preserve the manufacturing jobs, took the time to invest in these places while the, the fabric and that social contract was breaking down. And you have this enormous roster of these communities all across, you know, my state of Pennsylvania, but all across this country. And, you know, we had, uh, you know, it kind of came to a head uh, in 2016 with Donald Trump's election. Now, Donald Trump won by a very slim margin in three states that put him over, my state is being one of them. And he did that by appealing to these forgotten, disaffected people that were like, hey, well, I voted Democrat my whole life. You know, what the hell else do I have to lose? Look around. And it really plugs into a, a greater progressive social justice narrative by realizing that these places were important. These places made major contributions to uh, American society. You know, my community, you know, it, it was where Andrew Carnegie started his first steel mill. It was an economic powerhouse. And if you went to, say, San Francisco or San Jose 125 years from now and discovered like, wow, where did everybody go? And it's on tough times. You wouldn't. So this idea that, well, these places don't deserve investment anymore, just get them a U-Haul, uh, I think is wrong. And I, I think it exacerbates the enormous amount of inequality we have in our country. In fact, it's, it's driving the inequality in our country. So, Mayor John, I think that it's, it's, it's really interesting. I think the case of Braddock is really interesting because it's an, it somehow shows a, a also an experimental ground. Over the past years, you saw some, you know, uh, shops opening, uh, some restaurants opening, as you just said. What are the experiences that you think were successful and which are the ones that you think uh, failed? This is going to sound incredibly arrogant and or self-serving, but we haven't had anything close, you know, or, or not do well uh, so far. So I'm sure they're coming. But in terms of, you know, the brewery opened three and a half years ago. And again, it was just named by Yelp as the, the best new brewery in, in Pennsylvania. Finished third, I think, in USA Today in the country, actually. Uh, we had another restaurant open up and they're going gangbusters. They're ready to celebrate their one year anniversary. The fine dining restaurant that opened below the loft that I live in 
has been killing it. Anthony Bourdain had dinner there two months ago uh, for his show Parts Unknown. So we've enjoyed a lot of successes. I, you know, my failures, if you want to call that, are whenever we have these kind of issues, whether it's, you know, gun violence or we have, you know, we still have people living in poverty. We have children growing up in poverty. And I've reached the limits of what my office can accomplish on a macro scale. And I think what I've discovered is, is that you need partnerships with governmental agencies. You need partnerships with philanthropic institutions. You need partnerships with private corporations. You know, we had a new uh, community center uh, refurbished and, and established uh, through our partnership with Levi's. You know, we brought, I'd say, probably uh, almost a dozen different Hollywood movies, major movies, and or television Netflix productions into town as a result. And our nickname is uh, Hollywood on the Mon. So we've tried a lot of different approaches. And most recently, we made a really good, valiant attempt. You know, you want to talk about failure. We came up short, tried to get a, a medical marijuana facility in our community as well, where you have a brand new industry in Pennsylvania, medical marijuana, would have been an enormous shot in the arm, economically speaking, if we were fortunate enough to be granted that license. We hope you're enjoying this interview with Mayor John Fetterman of Braddock, Pennsylvania, but we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Mayor John is going to give us some details about his approach and his advice for young changemakers. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Social Design Insights. Welcome back to Social Design Insights. We're going on with our conversation with Mayor John Fetterman. We will be looking at how his urban regeneration strategies and tactics are challenging the social and economic problems that Braddock and other communities that are suffering from disinvestment are facing. Mr. Mayor, would you consider what you do and um, this approach to be urban planning? No, we never did a a five-page, well, this is where we're going with this, or, you know, plan, and and that that might sound irresponsible in, in a way, but I, I can assure you it's not. It's dealing with the level of trauma and the condition that, you know, we found the, the, the community in. It's really kind of a all hands on deck and, and see what you can get established and started. You know, again, starting with very basic fundamental things like public safety and, you know, bringing a you know, convenience store into town and bringing a restaurant into town, you know, things of that nature. So we always prided ourselves on a balanced approach, opening playgrounds, you know, uh, really combating food insecurity uh, with, you know, more aspirational ones, whether it's a a brewery or whether it's a uh, a restaurant that brings in the majority of its people from outside the community. Who are the people that are coming in from outside? You know, we've heard about this resurgence and obviously Braddock has, has gotten a lot of national attention. You know, who are the, the new people that are moving in? Well, it's it's a mix of people. It's people that are more geared towards kind of you know being more participatory in a community's revitalization. It's people buying a home for $10,000 and fixing it up. It's people that were once may have been, you know, too polite to admit it but were used to be afraid of Braddock or they didn't even want to drive through it. And now their favorite beer is made here or the restaurant where they bring friends from out of town to show people how far Pittsburgh and the restaurant scene has come, you know, is here now. Philanthropically speaking, you know, our, our next project is revitalizing an old building and creating it as a, um, 
a hub, a uh, incubator for minority-owned women businesses. And we have, I think, four or five already, you know, ready to go move in once that project's completed. And these were accomplished by a, a mixture of different private-public partnerships and philanthropic partnerships. And, and that, that gets back to that lesson about gratitude, or any community like it. It's like private dollars will never not follow public dollars in a place that's upside down like Braddock. As far as I'm concerned, we can't, as a government, turn our backs on these places because we'll never get private dollars if that occurs. And, and now we have such a divided country with Donald Trump. The irony is, is that he promised to you know, not forget about these places, and, and he's done just that. And there's that concern that you know, we won't ever get back to you know, investing in these kind of places. I think it's it's fascinating to see all the programs that you actually uh, achieved. And uh, I was also wondering, I mean, how much do you think that the success of what's happening is part of the vision that you had? So how could you create a collective imagination of what this place could be and how much is actually hands-on work in, in building these programs? Because it seems that the two things come together, obviously, but it is true that somehow you, you could, uh, you know, make people dream of a different bread dock and that really opened the way to an urban regeneration. I, I never, like, try to sell it. I don't have rose-colored glasses, and, and that's how I always talk about it when I'm speaking with people, is, is that if you're looking for an easier place to invest in or if you're looking for uh, a community with fewer challenges, you know, there's any number of those. Uh, but what I can say and what I do always promise to people is, is that, you know, whatever I can do to help, that's what I'm willing and that's what I'm committing myself to doing. And, and that's what we've done in, in every instance of people that have decided to invest in Braddock. And, and so far, those people that have made those investments have done all right. And they've made Braddock a better, more prosperous place. But the work that was started here is never going to end. It, we've had a lot of successes, but it still has enormous challenges and probably will for 20 years. So at the end of the day, it's my hope that if I'm able to achieve a larger platform, you know, politically speaking, that we can make this more of a focus, at least from a Pennsylvania perspective, but hopefully from a national perspective, because I really think it's dividing our country into the have a lot versus the really have very, very little. And, and it, it translates into life expectancy. There was a, an amazing article, I'll just reference it briefly here, between a town not far from here, McKeesport, and Upper St. Clair, which are both in Allegheny County here in Western PA. And their life expectancy is, differs by a decade. They're only 12 minutes apart, literally. And I think we've crossed that threshold in this country where your zip code that you're born in strongly predicts your outcome in life, and it just shouldn't be that way. I think that especially this polarization in society, also uh, you know, brought by Trump, but by a general world crisis in economics, is driving a lot of young designers into trying to understand better what they can do to improve social justice. And I think that actually many of our listeners are these kind of designers. So what would you advise them for your own town, but also for other towns that are facing similar troubles? I was invited to speak at the Harvard Design School to talk about that very thing. And honestly, I, I don't want to sound flip or, or trying to be clever. I, I, I don't have an exact answer to that other than look in places that you wouldn't normally look in. Uh, you know, if you're going to stay in Boston or you're going to stay in Washington, D.C., or a lot of these marquee cities in the United States, you're not going to often get a chance to work with the kind of communities and places that need these kind of 
excellent design ideas. But I also understand why a lot of these places are interesting and desirable to live. Portland, Oregon, for example, or San Francisco or Seattle, Washington. You know, there, there's not a lot of low-hanging fruit in terms of that, but if you come to McKeesport or you come to Buffalo, New York, or a lot of these other places, you've got to go off the grid to take on a lot of this work. And a lot of people, whether it's student loans or they want to help, but they're just, they don't, I don't know if I want to enlist full-time, so to speak, and that creates a challenge because a lot of my classmates ended up in the Boulder, Colorados and the Portland, Oregon the nice cities and you know i kind of ended up in a place where nobody else wanted to end up and have wanted to make my statement about you know that these places in fact matter too and don't forget about us that's my message to the design students is, is that uh, these places can offer a lot of opportunity to do really creative interesting and compelling work in fact maybe even more so than a lot of these other places because there's just a lot more low-hanging fruit and there's a lot more opportunity. And I think I'd like to see emerging that in Detroit or these other Rust Belt cities where, like, you know, kind of do your own thing and connect more dots that have already been connected in these cities that are already become hyper-gentrified and, and, and hyper-prosperous. I'm kind of envisioning you coming back from this speaking engagement with a few young designers in tow. Uh, there's some inspirational messages. Well, well, well I, and again, that's the thing. I, I don't want to be some cheesy snake oil salesman. It's, it's a tough road to hoe for anybody that wants to kind of commit to this process because it's much easier and I'm sure lucrative to work in, in a more major metropolitan area or Brooklyn, New York, or whatever, and, and I'm not bashing those places. I want to be clear about that. All I'm saying is, is that I only wanted to work in a place like this as opposed to kind of being just a, another wave of redevelopment and, and a wave of, uh, and again, I don't want to call it gentrification, but, but just, you know, there's so many places in this country that need help and, and that need to be, you know, made better, and those are the places that I invest in and would want to go to, not places that are already uh, doing so well. Amen. Reflecting on your, your a couple of your last responses, actually, and, and the election and, you know, moving towards a more national agenda, how much has the election been a game changer for you and, and your work? You know, to have an administration that's kind of openly hostile to a lot of the policies that we've been discussing today, you know, social justice and, and investing in the poor and, and, and that sort of thing. Have you had to change gears uh, at all throughout this election? Does it, does it start something new for you or you just keep on keeping on? Well, I, I ran uh, for the U.S. Senate in, in 2016. I didn't win, obviously, but we did really well given the amount of resources that we had and how badly we were outspent. My Senate race was the most expensive in American history. It was $176 million. Wow. You know, our, yeah, I mean, it, there was no close second, by the way. And I just couldn't help think the whole time that 90% of that money was spent on TV ads calling each other names and saying this and that. And I just think of what $170 million could do for communities like mine, communities like McKeesport, communities like Detroit. I mean, like, and it's all wasted and squandered in our American political system. And the election wasn't so much a game changer for me as just an affirmation of what I have been feeling and working on and the reason why I ran in 2016 and the reason why I'll, I'll certainly be back into that fray either in 2018 or 2022 because things have to change and, and if you don't see a candidate that would represent what you would like to see happen, 
then you have to be that candidate. And, and that's why I did it before. And, and that's why I'll, I'll do it again. And what scares me and depresses me with respect to Trump's pension isn't so much that if he loses in 2020, it's the Supreme Court and his appointments. And if that court has a strong conservative bias, no matter what progressive and urbanist policies get passed by any future administration, they're all going to end up at the Supreme Court. And let's put it this way, Obamacare would have never survived if it was judged under today's Supreme Court versus the one under John Roberts a couple of years ago. And that has profound ramifications. So from my perspective, we are in uncharted territory in American politics. It can be a, also an exciting and scary time from urban and design programs, too, because they're going to need to kind of fill in the gaps and join mayors, because that's where I think the change can continue, given that our federal government seems to be paralyzed and, and in some cases openly hostile to progressive and urbanist theory and ideas. Let's hope that this uh, long winter would allow, you know, all the seeds of hope to germinate uh, stronger than ever. I agree. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well I, said. I, that, that wraps it up yeah, nicely. But and, and that's true. That's all you can do at, at this point. But I, I have to tell you, in, in my part of the state, western Pennsylvania, you still see an enormous amount of Trump signs. And my concern is, is that it's going to be really hard to bring a lot of these people back into the fold because they've already lost so much. And you want to make America great again? It's like, this guy has no answers. This guy has no demonstrated concern. But folks are angry and, and, and understandably. And that's the thing. People think that if you voted for Donald Trump, you burn crosses and you ha you're a card-carrying KKK member. That's just not true. There are a lot of people that voted for Obama twice that just said, you know what? You know, I, I, I'm going to take a chance because look at where I live. Look at what's happened. Look at the future. And, you know, we as a Democratic Party have to address that. And we as a country have to come to that reckoning, too. And because I personally think that we've crossed the point of almost no return when it comes to these places in, a, in this country, being able to bring them back economically to the mainstream. Well, let's keep doing what we do. And um, thank you so much for, for coming and sharing your strategies and your optimism uh, and your insight uh, with our listeners. I know a lot of them are, are interested in confronting problems like these now more than ever. I, I think this is what we need. Well, thank you, guys. And, and thank you for the great honor. And uh, it's been a real pleasure to, to share this with you guys. Thank you very much. And thank you for your time. Good work and good luck for Braddock. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Social Design Insights with Eric Kessel and Emiliano Gandolfi. We'd like to thank our guests of the week, Mayor John Fetterman of Braddock, Pennsylvania, USA, as well as his staff and the people of Braddock who have been working all hands on deck on urban restoration. We hope that all of our listeners can draw inspiration and set to work on the places that they love as well. You can find more information about Mayor John and the work in the city of Braddock on our website at currystonedesignprize.com. Social Design Insights is an initiative of the Currystone Design Prize and the Currystone Foundation. If you haven't already, please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all the latest news on social impact design.